How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Drew Estate Cigar Studios for episode 162 of How About That Cigar Live. Guys, thank you so much for joining us live on Facebook, live on YouTube, and for those of you listening after the fact on the audio podcast, guys, thank you so much for listening while you drive down the road or work out whatever it is you do when you listen to your favorite audio podcast. Thanks for making us a part of that. And we are here, like I said, in the beautiful Drew Estate Cigar Studios. And Drew Estate has revealed the secret identity of the mystery cigar inside the latest Freestyle Live event pack. That is the all-new Nika Rustica Adobe, the second expression in Drew Estate's value-priced Nika Rustica line. The Nika Rustica brand is Drew Estate's homage and tribute to Esteli Nicaragua. The Nika Rustica Adobe will be available in a 6x52 Toro, 5x54 Robusto, and a 6x60 Gordo, all presented in 25-count boxes while retaining many of the same characteristics characteristics as the Connecticut Broadleaf expression. Nika Rustica Adobe is the spicier version using a Habano wrapper, Brazilian binder, and Nicaraguan filler tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa. Unpolished and unrefined, Nika Rustica Adobe is a medium to full-bodied cigar that offers loads of spice with a bold and very long finish. The perfect companion for adventurous cigar buffs. Nika Rustica Adobe will be available for regular distribution to all retailers beginning in August. For more info, please visit drewestate.com. I just had a little uh, little puberty moment there. Please yeah, visit. Please. please visit. That was that was Smells fun. like feet. I think scotch will help that a little bit. So cheers. Yep. So, back to OG G Rob tonight. Um, I like your hat, by the way. It's my damn hat. <laughs> uh, Very I believe, classy. I believe you were with me when I got this hat. I was. Yep. Yeah. Um, so... I just got to tell a story. Uh, this last week, I had the honor of going through the Midwest with Henderson Ventura. It was fantastic. <clears throat> I detailed my car. I, I looked at how much it would be to detail the interior of my car and stupid prices. Yeah. But, you know, they take out the seat, you know, it, whatever. So I was like, I'll just do it myself. So I do it. I pick up Henderson from the airport. And then I was like, what? what is that? And I couldn't figure it out. And so then we came here and we did the podcast. Yeah. Right from here. And then I got in the car after the podcast. I was like, dude, no, there's something. It, so I looked under my seat. And one of my kids. Oh, no. Had left a chocolate milk bottle oh. that was ballooned. Mm. And for days I was working on trying to get that smell out and I was watching these videos. And so I finally got this um, baking soda situation. You know, I saw, yeah. you know, it's the best way to get spoiled milk smell out of, out of your vehicle. That's so, the worst. Um, big. And so the day after that, I was like, Oh, finally it's gone. And then Henderson looks at me. He was like, it's not gone. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> clearly he has the better nose. Yeah. Yeah. He's the cigar blender. So yeah. he knows what, yeah, that's <laughs> oh, that sucks. Is it still kind of? No, we fi finally after, finally okay yeah, the next day because oh. I did another treatment and then he was like, yeah, okay. Um, so the uh, just briefly we talk about the you know little sport going on. Uh, so right now as we speak, Garrett's watching uh, NBA playoffs, uh, NBA finals. Uh, who's up right now? 
Uh, actually, Golden State has a 10-point lead. Golden State, 10 point. Okay. Well, it's early, right? It is early. Yeah, it's early. Yeah. Um, so the Twins, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, there, we have a lot of injuries. We have a lot of backup players. But, you know, we, we end up going back and forth with the Yankees. Yeah. You know, they blow us out, and then we blow them out, and then we end up losing a close one well, of a high-scoring game. Good at blowing. Good, yes. And then... Yesterday, we got shut out by the Rays yesterday. Shut out by the Rays. I don't, how does that, on what planet does that, do you Tampa get Bay shut Ray, out? Tampa Bay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't, I don't know what happened, but I, I don't know. Um, and the Stanley Cup final is finally set to, uh, to start. Yeah. And I, you know, I really liked uh, your take on it on Eric. Gatormson's uh, post uh, that the Avs have had a lot of time to rest, which if you think about it, um, that's not always a great thing. It's not always rhythm. And um, that that's, that's a lot. It is. And this is, I, I cannot remember the last time a team had this long of a rest. I mean, because uh, it, it just seemed like this, the side abs- of the bracket, the abs blew everybody out. Yeah. You know, it was, they were four, you know, you know, they, they, they swept, uh, uh, shoot. Uh, the light. Nope. Um, they, I'm sorry. I don't remember uh, that. Yeah. Side of the back the, of the, the last team they faced. I, I feel bad. I can't remember right now, but uh, anyway, they, they had just had short series for the most part across the board. And then, you know, on the other side of the bracket, they're taking forever. They're having six and seven game series. So it'll be fun to watch. Um, I want the Avs to win because um, you know they're they're in our division. Yeah, and they, um, you know they, you know I have a soft spot for them because you know our friends from Cigar Absolutely. Dojo being I'm from with Denver, hundred you know, percent have you. a soft spot for them. So, um, and so Wednesday night, that's Stanley Cup final starts. Uh, should be a great series. Looking forward to it. So. We will, uh, you know, keep you guys posted. And, you know, football. It's Oilers. Still two Oilers. They swept the Oilers. Avs. Thank you. Yes, Edmonton. Yes. Yep. Um, so we'll see how it goes. It'll be a fun series to watch. Um, but we have a lot of fun coming on oh our show gosh. tonight on episode one. So many things. Um, there's, uh, as you guys know, um, you know, we are, uh, we're big proponents of cigar advocacy here yes. at how about that cigar and cigar education. Yes. And, uh, you know, the, the guy we have on the show tonight, uh, really has the, the inside scoop on what's going on with, uh, the FDA cigar advocacy and, and a lot of other things we're going to talk about. So, uh, let's bring our special guest on. And as always on how about that cigar live special guests are brought to us by our friends at Corona cigar company. Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, the Internet's largest and easiest-to-use virtual cigar store. Corona Cigar Company offers you the finest handmade cigars, humidors, and cigar accessories at the absolute lowest possible price. You'll also find unique and limited cigars containing Florida sun-grown tobacco. As a proud American, president and founder of Corona Cigar Company, Jeff Borshowitz believed it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, you'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of 
of cigars containing this special Florida sun-grown tobacco. If you live in Florida or are just visiting, be sure to visit any of the great Corona Cigar locations in downtown Orlando, Sand Lake, Lake Mary, and also the Davidoff of Geneva Lounge in Tampa. For more info on all of that, please visit coronacigar.com and floridasungrown.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you would, please put your hands together and welcome to episode 162 of How About That Cigar Live from the Premium Cigar Association, Josh Haberski. Welcome back to the show, brother. How are you? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing well, man. Feels like a family reunion. We're back. I know. I know. We're back. We're back. So uh, before we jump into all the great stuff, stuff we have to talk about tonight let us know josh where you're broadcasting from and what you are smoking and drinking along with us so i am having a san pellegrino the i'll start with the least interesting thing first <laughs> um and i am smoking an el politico i think it's el, el politico night um which is the the cigar that uh, i worked on with luciano my my first cigar and um, I am broadcasting live from Erie, Pennsylvania, my hometown. Um, it's uh, I'm, I'm here this week working uh, remotely. I had to endure a six-hour listening session with the Food and Drug Administration about the flavor rule this morning. Uh, so it's uh, I was passed, passed overdue for a, a, a nice cigar tonight. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, and we will uh, get into some of those, I'm sure, amazing details that came from from uh, that session. But uh, I'm I'm a little jealous because yeah. you guys are you guys have the El Politico fired up. Yeah. So both. Uh, so I'm going to get one fired up too. Yeah. All right. You ready? Let's, let's do it. Let's do that. <laughs> All right. When lighting your cigar, it is important to be patient, pay close attention to detail, and focus on the tobacco. In the same way, Steve Saka brings those same qualities to the ultra-premium cigars of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Patience and close attention and focus on the tobacco are the qualities that Saka and Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust have become known for. From Sober Mesa to Umbagag, Dunbarton has a blend that will fit your palate, your mood, and any occasion. Visit DunbartonCigars.com to learn more. And for those asking about the El Politico cigar, I know it's been a long tease and, you know, um, all of that. We will get to some of those details um, in the show. And um, we've got some uh, exciting things happening with that cigar. But we also have other cigar news. So, Matt, what do we want to talk about first? Do you want to hit PCA first since that's right around the corner? I think. Um... Or do you want to talk cigars first? I think let's talk cigars first. The, awesome. Yeah, let's talk the let's let's talk cigars first, and then we'll talk um, then we'll talk some of the big regulatory stuff. Like like Josh said, he was on the on a call with the FDA for a yeah. long time today, and that's we definitely want to hit on that. And Absolutely. then and then we'll we'll finish up with uh, upcoming trade show stuff. Very cool. All right, so Josh, the El Politico. Um, it is a project that has been, you know, a couple years in the making. We finally have got cigars. I know that we've got some retail partners, um, happening. What can you tell us about, um, what this cigar is going to look like in the retail scene over the next few months? 
So absolutely. Uh, I think we have 20 stores that we uh, have initial commitments from. Um, you know, obviously this is uh, this isn't something that I'm out there, you know, selling uh per se, you know, we've, we've kind of done some soft promotion. We did a soft launch with luxury cigar club, um, not having the boxes. They were the right fit for that. And, um, we are donating, you know, 50 cents per cigar to, uh, the PCA legal and advocacy defense fund. Um, this really organically started out as my business card. Um, I went to Nicaragua for, uh, 10 days with Luciano and, and was, seeing firsthand in the Pichardo Ace Prime factory, how operations in the factory and the fields. And, um, you know, we put together this project. Um, actually, at last year's trade show is when I, I got the, the first banded uh, samples. Um, I know that's where uh, you, Matt and Garrett, uh, got a, one of those and I was just giving them out. I was so excited. I, I mean, it was like yeah, you were. Cri Christmas morning handing out cigars to people like this is what I like to smoke. And it, you know, I watered it down a little bit. Um, the original size was a, a, a thinner cigar. It was a little more potent. Um, and Luciano matched my taste profile perfectly, but we wanted to make it a little more accessible to folks that, don't smoke cigars at the frequency that we all do. So I wanted it to be uh, respectable within the industry, but also I'm around a lot of, uh, you know, politicians, a lot of staff that, you know, this is under the gift rules. Um, you are allowed to buy a member of Congress a cup of coffee as a lobbyist. Uh, so it's basically $5 and, 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 and under. Um, and that's what, what I pay is, is under that. So, um, you know, they are available. Uh, I think there's a, a few hundred left available on luxurycigar.com without the boxes, but our retail partners, um, and I'll be with Luciano this, this Wednesday, uh, they should be shipping uh, in June and, and early July. Very nice. Awesome. And uh, we do have a picture of that new box, Sex E. That is beautiful. Glossy, blue, glossy dark blue with the silver, uh, uh, with the silver and the gold. I, I think it just, I think it's baller. I love it. Yeah. Um, and I know from previous conversations with uh, Luciano, I'm pretty sure the only thing that he was really telling people is it's a San Andreas wrapper. Yes. It, so. uh, some Brazilian. Uh, we did a special with uh, Cigar Journal where they did the ratings and they did uh, a little more in depth. Um, you know, it's uh, Nicaraguan uh and, and Ecuadorian, I believe Ecuadorian filler, Nicaraguan, Nicaraguan binder, and a few leaves of Brazilian tobacco in there. So, but it is high prime Mexican San Andreas wrapper. And it's yummy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, a, and I, I really agree with what you said, Josh, and what, what you said that Luciano had to convey about the blend is that it's, um, it's really accessible to, anybody this isn't a cigar that that should in any way you know uh scare off uh somebody who's newer to premium cigars who maybe hasn't smoked anything in a in a strong range you know it's a yeah. it's a medium bodied cigar that's got a lot of depth and richness to it a lot of dark you know those those characteristic dark flavors and and aroma notes that you get from san andreas if you like a 
uh, cigar to taste like that um, almost Americano type coffee flavor um, teetering into espresso. Yeah. This is. Yeah, it's got a lot of that going on. It's fantastic. So, um, all right. So that's the El Politico. Now, <laughs> Josh, uh, you teased us a little bit before the show. So. Some, some big reveals. So uh, I have two other projects that I'm working on right now. Uh, one is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I am from Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, where the fleet for the Battle of Lake Erie um, was constructed. Uh, so there was a, a, a cigar company, which I, I really um, would encourage folks to check out, Liberty Cigar Company. Mm -hmm. uh, John Adams is uh, the gentleman's name. He uh, is a commercial real estate agent by day, but just a, a passionate lover of history. And he makes cigars for the White House Historical Association, Mount Vernon. He has a uh, Founding Fathers series. He has a Commander series, a President series. Uh, I think in his portfolio, he has 70 cigars named after historical figures. And in the blending process, he will work with a, a master blender in the Dominican Republic that... Um, you know, basically takes the character traits or uh, components of these individuals' lives and, and in incorporates them um, into the cigar itself. And uh, we work together um, to produce a cigar called the Carinade, uh, which is a um, smaller cannon. It was used on naval vessels, um, and it's named after uh, the... the um, brig commander of the Niagara, Oliver Hazard Perry, who's very famous in, in Erie circles. So this cigar itself, and, and kind of conceptualizing what John Adams did with this, he has a whole bio. He works with a historian, um, put the cigar together. It At the end, will you'll really taste notes of gunpowder. Um, and it's a 45-minute smoke because um, when Oliver Hazard Perry transferred from his battleship, the Lawrence to the Niagara, it took 45 minutes. And th there's this every piece. I mean, there's like 10 different traits in this. And um, I was with John uh, a couple of weeks ago and he said for this cigar, it's going to be part of a larger naval series. Um, they are going to sell it at Mount Vernon. Um, it will be available in Erie. Um, and in the box itself is going to be a 20-minute documentary that people will be able to open up and watch about the Battle of Lake Erie. So as a history oh. nerd, it just kind of has come full circle. Um, we were connected through a friend of a friend, and I knew when I had a call with John, I'm like, I, I have this idea. I'm going to pitch it. We'll see if he likes it. We are only doing, you know, 1,200 of these. Um, and we're going to release them on September 10th, the uh, commemoration of the Battle of Lake Erie. That is so cool. I love, yeah, his, history is, we're history nerds. Dude. We are history so nerds. So that is, that is very cool. Man, uh, dude, Josh, that that's fantastic. Yeah. So only 1,200 cigars? 1,200 cigars for, for this year. Um, and uh, I think the, the packs and that, I mean, if you look at how his branding and, and marketing, how he's constructed them, 
um, it, it really is amazing. And, um, you know, we did a, a actually a revolutionary war podcast uh, together and in Quantico, Virginia, which uh, some people know um, last year um, I got involved as a partner in a cigar lounge, Embassy Cigar Lounge, and we hosted the podcast there. And, um, you know, John talked about history and, and he has this big van that will fit like 30,000 cigars. And he was given a, he gave me a, a Teddy Roosevelt, the Rough Rider series. And it's just like, yeah, these are cigars, but, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm back in, uh, I was a history minor back in college and, and going through a textbook as I'm smoking the cigar or experiencing it. I love it. That's and, very cool. You know, we've got the guys from uh, Founder Cigar Company oh, yeah. uh, watching as well. Uh, thanks for watching. Um, and we are seeing more and more uh, cigar themes, uh, not only military, but history. Yeah. And I love all of it. You know, I, I think there's a lot more room for it. And uh, that's going to be exciting for you as well, Josh. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of Founder Cigars. Uh, I know Battlefield Cigar does uh, something yeah. similar on the Civil War era. And, and that's another thing that's a good talking point when you're going in front of regulators and, and, and legislators talking about the impact of cigars. There, you know, we all know the social benefits, we know the economic benefits, but how about just the learning aspect of it? Mm. And, you know, you're thinking about uh, biographies and, and, and past events and history. Um, and, and it, you're doing it in an interesting and intriguing way. There are people that are enjoying the, the any of those three companies that I mentioned, um, their cigars and they're, I guarantee you they're on their phone and Google looking up, you know, Ben Franklin, looking up John Hancock or Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold was actually a very popular seller in uh, in in our our shop. We did a, a Father's Day sale, um, you know, uh, with uh, John, some of John's uh, products from Liberty Cigar, and and mm -hmm. um, it was amazing just seeing people. Oh, let let's in striking up conversations about history. Um, that was neat neat to see. And, you know, I, and as we're talking about this and I'm just thinking of all the, the different events and, and the locations where these cigars are going to be, you know, uh, more popular. Have you guys ever been to one of those like real deal Civil War reenactment? Um, I never I never have. No. Oh, my God. Absol absolutely. I'm going Ju uh, July 2nd to Gettysburg. Oh, you're doing uh, Gettys. I haven't done the Gettys and I, I got to do it. Union Cigar Company uh, or Union Cigar Lounge out in Gettysburg. They're a PCA member. Uh, fantastic spot. I go there every time I go to Gettysburg and we'll walk the battlefield little round top with a cigar. It almost brings tears to your eyes when thinking yeah. about the, you know, the just the, um, the scale of everything. Yeah. yeah. I was in Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky. Um, and of course, now that battle totally escapes my mind, but they did this amazing reenactment. And just like you said, it, it brings tears to your eyes because as the, the narrator is kind of walking through the, the whole deal, uh, talking about how many lives were lost and, uh, and the position and the, the fields that were just soaked, um, it, it, uh, it's a very powerful image. And um, yeah. Uh, 
and you know, it's, it's interesting. Like I was surprised that the white house historical association is, is promoting uh, tobacco products. And um, you know, you, you find these little nuggets through conversation and, you know, I, anyone that knows me and Matt and Garrett, you've experienced time with me on a social level at the, the PCA yep. trade show. I am all about cigars. I enjoy every component of it, not in, not just the lobbying and the advocacy that, you know, sometimes can be frustrating. I, I still enjoy that, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly wanting to learn and reach out to the experts. If people are doing something interesting and I can tag along and, 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 and get involved somehow or come up with an idea, um, that's what I've been pursuing. And, and another example, once I found out the White House Historical Association um, was doing cigars. I mentioned it to Glenn Loop, my colleague, and he's like, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, the Vatican, the Holy See, banned all tobacco products, um, you know, you know, where the Pope lives in their gift shops and, and they, that, except for cigars. And one of the folks that was instrumental in preserving cigars was actually a priest out of um, Kansas City. And that priest will be coming to the trade show this year as one of our guests. Um, and he's kind of like a, a celebrity in my mind. I'm like, absolutely invite him. Tell him to come. Tell him to come. I'll yes. walk him around and he'll get to meet a lot of people. Um, so I'm really excited for that, too. Absolutely. That oh, my so gosh. Cool. Father H. Yep. Love it. I can. Well, Jay knows. And yeah. there's I think. It's really cool that there there are still um, notable people in Washington in in positions of power, for lack of a better term, who are still um, paying uh, heed. I don't want to use the word homage, but they're paying heed to the fact that tobacco as a as a crop, you know, really did play a huge part in the mm. in the in the beginning of this nation. Absolutely, um, and it uh, and and it's also um, a, a real. When we talked to Nick Melillo about this before, the, the, there's a huge ceremonial piece to it. Yeah, you know, when it comes to bringing bringing people together from um, you know from different places, and you know, tobacco as a crop was was such a huge part of the beginning of the country, and I think it's important to remember that. And yeah. this is a good way to educate people about that. And I love the fact that the only tobacco product still available at the Vatican <laughs> is cigars. I absolutely love that. I, I had no idea. And that is a beautiful thing. I now know. I one it. more, one more uh, nerdy history fact for yes. you guys. So in DC, in the U S Capitol, Congressman Tom, uh, Tom Cole out of Oklahoma, he is a big cigar smoker, um, goes to ZT Cigars, Todd Nafee's shop uh, all the time. Well, uh, Congressman Cole, he is in, in he was in leadership. Um, he, he's in uh, Republican leadership um, and um, he was the ranking member of the Rules Committee. And he has an office in the actual Capitol building and he has ventilation set up where a lot of members of Congress will go and enjoy a cigar. Um, uh, uh, there's, you know, a, a whole cigar caucus, but they will actually go and smoke in there. And the fun historical fact 
is where they actually light up their cigars was where the British entered the capital to burn the capital during the War of 1812. Wow. I love that. I have goosebumps. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I have that cool? goosebumps. These, those little stories, I, I mean, are so it. meaningful. They I are. don't know. They are to me. It's, they are to me, too. And I, I just think that is so cool. I when know I was... Jay's watching. I'm going to have to bring uh, Jay and uh, next time he's in D.C. for one of our PCA meetings and take him to smoke in, in that exact spot. <sighs> I Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? I love that. I do, too. Well, I know, um, you know, not to continue to talk about my trip this last week, but I got to hear Henderson talk about the the whole theme of of his brand and the final two, the Royal Return, why they named it that. It was because when they discovered um, tobacco in, you know, North America, it was just this amazing plant that was so coveted that and they saw that they were smoking it and loved it that they brought it back for the king and queen yeah and that's why it's that series is called the royal return it was such a gift it was on par with gold and and other yeah. things i mean that's how amazing tobacco was at that time um, yeah it was right up there with it was right up there with uh spices that's right and salt and gold yes and it was it was highly treasured and yeah. st still is, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, George Washington said, you know, during the Revolutionary War, if you can't send munitions, send tobacco. Exactly. It was a it was a currency. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So I would uh, I would love to talk about history all night, but there are some there are some important current events going on when it comes to, um you know, the FDA and the premium cigar association and the premium cigar industry as a whole. So, um, as we know, there has been, um, a lot of activity in the last, well, in the last many years, but if we narrow it down to very recently within the last few months, a lot of activity from the FDA, especially surrounding flavored tobacco products. And we know that the call you had earlier today, uh, did cover a lot of that. So, Josh, if you would walk us through kind of the current circumstances that the FDA is presenting to the premium cigar industry in relation to flavored products and uh, what you guys discussed today on your call and um, some of the strategies the PA, PCA is beginning to develop to uh, inform and educate the FDA about these products. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this has been an ongoing battle at the, you know, the state and local levels that we've seen proliferating across the country. Um, now you have the, the federal level, the regulators taking action, and it's creating a tobacco product standard. Uh, but it's a de facto ban on characterizing flavors in cigars. Um, it is limited to cigars. Pipe tobacco is not included in this. Um, uh, that's one of the things that we're communicating and working on that, yeah, yes, um, that shouldn't be included. Uh, but they are very general in their, uh, use of the word characterizing flavors. We don't know exactly all that it will entail, um, whether it's, you know, in, infused cigars or, um, you know, if it's barrel aged, like what, what does the characterizing flavor, uh, mean? And they didn't define that. 
Um, so, you know, as the retail organization, um, you know, our, our North Star is, you know, premium cigars. We have a definition. It doesn't include machine made or, or flavors, but that nonetheless, there is a, a marketplace for that. And then, you know, the association believes that adult consumers can make adult choices. And can that, I you know, for, can yep. I interrupt for one sec, Josh, yep. that, that definition that we have. Is that the Altria definition that was defined a couple years ago? No, this was done by uh, Judge Maida um, in in the oh, recent okay. court that, court yeah, case. Yeah. Okay, there's eight different components to it, um, but um, and and it was affirmed. The FDA used it in their pre market uh, review or pre market authorization rule. Um, so they've it's it's the closest thing that we have to a, a formal definition because it was in the courts it was used by the fda but it, through legislation there isn't a definition the right. tax code and where it gets real wonky is the tax code has large cigars and small cigars there's no definition for premium so cigar terminology it gets confusing because there are groups that say it should include this and should not include that as it relates to the flavor rule PCA vehemently uh, opposes the prohibition of, uh, of, of products, of these products. We know that 93%, and we surveyed our membership before we took this position, 93% of our PCA members carry a flavored cigar. Um, so, you know, we're out front and center making economic arguments. What is the small business impact? What is the impact on employees? But also poking holes into what the FDA has not done. And the biggest concerning thing, and I, I mentioned this on one of our, our conference calls today, why I'm concerned about this rule is that the FDA is no longer saying that youth access is the North Star, that these rules are not being promulgated because of youth access solely, it's because it disproportionately affects minority communities, LGBTQ communities, and that they're making this decision because of that, even though those are adult consumers. So it used to be most of these things were it, it appeals to youth, it appeals to youth. That's why they need to take action. They've moved the goalposts again. And, you know, we're saying that. I'm sorry. Do they have any data that is pointing right. them in that direction? Exactly. Where, like, I feel like this came from total left field. Are they just yeah. throwing literal shit at the wall to see what sticks? It's it, it's extremely sparse the the data and information that they put together. It's it's right out of the playbook of the anti-tobacco groups. Um, you know, the conference call today, you had a lot of law enforcement. Uh, officers objecting, um, saying that this is going to cause further problems uh, of, of minorities getting arrested for uh, things that were previously not uh, criminal or prohibited. Yeah. Um, but you had all the public health groups saying, yes, we need to do this. Yes, we need to do this. And it was a pep rally. And I was frustrated Friday night. Um, I'm getting ready to fly uh, to Cleveland to come to Erie. And um, I get a note from the FDA saying that I was not selected uh, to present. 
um, at today's session or the one on the 15th. So we are filing a uh, request for extension that they, um, you know, move their deadline for public comments back so that they can accommodate additional voices. But we are the national uh, voice for 3,000 plus brick and mortar retailers and 30,000 employees. I think it would be uh, their due diligence to allow us the opportunity to provide a five-minute comment in a public forum. Now, yes. I'll give them credit. They did have retailers that said, hey, this is going to negatively impact my, my business. But there was a disproportionate number of antis on there. And, you know, they didn't give us the opportunity because months ago when this was uh, the Office of Management and Budget and the White House was looking at this rule, we submitted questions that were unanswered. We also followed up. They did a, another listening session before they released the rule. We submitted questions. They didn't answer it. And it goes into two parts. When they released this rule, they said it would have no international implications. That is patently false. When right. you have the largest markets coming from Nicaragua, the Dominican Republic, and Honduras, those the Dominican government has been very public. Should this go into effect, 40,000 people are going to lose their job day one. That's just Dominican Republic, too. That's just Dominican Republic. And yeah. that's year one. There will be residual effects. So we're saying that we need an international economic study. And then, you know, to their point, saying that this disproportionately affects minority communities. Well, we said to them, what about the disproportionate effect on minority owned businesses, small businesses? What does that impact? We are seeing a lot of folks that are first time business owners, especially, you know, last year where we had this mini cigar boom where people were coming together. I've been to at least a dozen veteran-owned groups or firefighter-owned uh, cigar lounges or cigar clubs or, or even mobile cigar lounges yeah. uh, of minority-owned businesses. And they are, um, you know, they just sprung up in the, the past five years. And we're saying you have no data on that. How many jobs are going to be lost uh, and how many small businesses are going to be lost because of this action? Those are two important things that they need to address before they promulgate a rule. Absolutely. And it seems like wow. uh, it's another example yet again, where the FDA uh, sort of, they, they show their cards and they, they prove that they really don't have a grasp on these products. They don't, they don't understand how they're made. They don't understand any of it. I and don't think they want to. They, and I, I think you're right. They don't want to. They don't. They don't care. This this line uh, that they're going, where they continue to move goalposts, is is clear that they don't want to. So so that brings up a good question, Josh. How? When? I mean, it's it's one thing to argue something when your opponent really knows the data down to its core, and yet I would think it's even more difficult to argue something when your opponent really doesn't have any grasp whatsoever on what they're even talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, they have conflationary data. They have partial truths. I mean, it, it, it gets frustrating. Um, I will say that, you know, like last year we had the big federal tax issues that brought the industry closer together. 
this issue in itself is also bringing the industry closer together. And people are starting to realize that, you know, we might disagree on talking points. We might disagree on some strategy here and there, but we can work together on 95%. And that's what we're focusing on. And I have had conference calls across the spectrum uh, of, of, of all the manufacturers, some that sell flavored products, some that don't, retailers, um, the other major asso associations. I mean, we have regular conference calls with NATO, NACS, um, uh, with CAA, with CRA. You know, everybody is, um, you know, sharing intel. And not only at the domestic level, I was on a conference call today with the Director General of the European Manufacturers Association. They are dealing with a comprehensive legislative framework comment period um, with the European Commission. And now that we're coordinating, because the anti-tobacco groups, they have national conferences and, you know, Davos and all, all these other uh places because they receive a ton of money from Bloomberg Philanthropies and you, you name it. They have the resources, but we're trying to bring people together. And PCA uh, is actually going to be filing a comment to the European Commission supporting the work of what the European Manufacturers Association is fighting against. And we are asking them to get involved um, in, in, in supporting the evidence and comments that, that we're working um, on domestic issues. And this is not just limited to Europe. I mean, when you see stuff, and I know that a lot of cigar media covered Australia and New Zealand and some of the most egregious things, I will say that we are starting to get organized as a industry to fight back against things that are not only localized and in the States, Glenn is doing a fantastic job rebuilding state associations. We have a new state handbook. We have 25 state associations, another 10 with a primary contact. We're working and, and we're walking and chewing gum at the same time, but it takes very little time and resources to send a support comment. And as the largest cigar market in the world, the Premium Cigar Association needs to start carrying its weight, um, you know, abroad in addition to domestically. And that's been a priority of mine, um, you know, coming into to my new role. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I want to break down a little bit the if if the FDA and well, if I I want to break down the differentiation between characterizing flavors, meaning you know, somebody says this, if you, you know, you enjoy this cigar, you're going to get subtle notes of cedar and cocoa. I'm just pulling things out of the air, but you know what I'm getting at, you know, typically notes that you would see in cigar aficionado when they review a cigar, that kind of thing. And then, then th there's, there's those characterizing flavors, the same as you would get from, you know, somebody uh, sampling a glass of wine and saying, I'm getting, you know, notes of, you know, dried cherries and black pepper, whatever. And then you have products that are actually uh, infused or enhanced with uh, aromas and flavorings. Do, do they differentiate between those two things at all? No, they're very vague in, in, in this. And, you know, that's where we have serious questions about the, the, not, the cigars that aren't actually flavored or infused, being able to describe them 
using the appropriate um, you know, descriptors, characterizing flavor descriptors. So, you know, this cigar, I think, has, you know, a nutmeg or a cocoa. And, you know, th there's some significant free speech issues that come mm -hmm. to play here. Absolutely. Um, you know, we're making that argument, you know, in the all likelihood of this, they're going to have to, and it's going to be a delayed or drawn out process. I, I answered the question on one of the uh, shows that I did a, a couple weeks ago, nothing changes at this point. Retailers should operate as business as usual, selling the products that they're legally allowed to sell. This will be a long drawn out process. We're asking for a 180 day extension to really get the full scope. We plan on releasing a survey this week um, that uh, we're, we're partnering with uh, CAA on trying to uh, figure out the scope of, of the economic impact. Uh, we have a list of SKUs that um, are commonly sold and basically what would be the detrimental effects or lost sales from that. So we're sending out that survey to our membership to kind of get a better idea of that. So, you know, if it's granted right now, the July 5th is the deadline to submit comments. We set up a portal, fightflavorbands.com. Um, which uh, is available for retailers as well as consumers. Uh, so folks can go on there and send a pre-written message. Very, very easy to do. Similar to our grassroots campaigns to uh, congressional officials that we do throughout the year. We will be filing a comment um, uh, and, and actually finalizing that draft this week. Um, so we're very engaged on this issue. Um, and um, it, it's interesting because on uh, the state side in California, they have a referendum on flavors. And we have set up and worked with uh, CART, um, uh, the California Retail Association, and we've set up an ad hoc coalition with a lot of the other uh, parties to educate folks and voters about this. So when the comment period closes, fightflavorbands.com is going to go from a federal initiative to a California education piece. So we're really matching or maximizing and stretching our resources as best as we can. Okay. All right. A couple of things. Um, could you walk us through what uh, the mechanics of these sessions are uh, really aiming to do here. So you've got a, a panel from the FDA and you have a, a judge that is listening to all of these as well. Not in this. These are just listening sessions where okay. FDA staff is taking it in and processing similar to the written comments. These are just done, um, you know, in oral format. So they had the six hour session today. They have another one on Wednesday. I have asked them to do a third one because evidently they couldn't accommodate us uh, to participate. But, um, you know, it's not like an up or down vote where it's like, all right, there's 10 people that are for the ban and 20 people against the ban. It, 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 they're it. looking for meaningful comments. There's a lot of ambiguity and subjectivity to it. Um, I find it frustrating. Um, 
you know, the the speakers have varied from former ATF directors to professors to high school students. Um, you know, there there were over fifty speakers today, and uh, the 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 comments really um, went across the board. And um, you know, we we provided some notations uh, for own our own purposes, but you know, we're calling into question that. Um, ambiguity. We're basically saying you have to have a definition of characterizing flavors for the retail community and the manufacturer. So you have an understanding of what are the actual confines that, um, you know, you can operate in. But not only that, we're, we oppose the, the whole thing. It is yeah. poorly yeah. written. Um, we cite the NASM study, which, you know, that mm -hmm. it was uh, a few months ago was released. We, I presented to that committee, which was a panel of 15 medical professionals and researchers. Um, that was the toughest hour and a half of my, my career, uh, <laughs> getting peppered by those questions. But, um, you know, we are citing government studies. We are not taking tobacco industry um, anecdotes. Um, we are asking serious questions. We are poking holes into their conclusions that we think that they've made in a faulty fashion and countering those points using government funded studies. Which probably led them to move the goalposts in the first place, going from, you know, um, access to underage smokers now to um, this whole new thing. Um, it, can that be characterized as... Um, kind of a win that they're kind of giving up on that front now that they feel like they don't have a foot to stand on with that. And I, 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 I don't think they are giving up. I think that they are um, looking at the totality of things. I mean, the, in the NASM report, um, they talked about a lack of self-regulation. I do think that the youth access issue is still front and center, um, but they, they are looking at it from a variety of different uh, viewpoints. We also, um, you know, heard some rumblings that they are looking at um, setting restrictions on nicotine limits for cigarettes, that that's another thing that um, is going to be coming within weeks. Yeah. Now, you know, when it starts with cigarettes, they always try to extend it to other tobacco products. So right. now if you have a nicotine restriction, you know, the variance with the cigar, it's not the same as a standardized method of cigarettes. You're going to then put the burden of testing requirements back on to cigars. So, you know, in, in the, I was, um, I, I sat in the, in the gallery for, uh, the third lawsuit against the FDA. Um, and, um, you know, the FDA was talking about how testing requirements, that's frozen, how the warning labels, that's no longer, how pre-market review, that there's no real concerns for, for the industry. And it's like, well, you have a lot in the pipeline that is extremely concerning. Right. And in the NASM study, they did say there, the section that was the most concerning in that study was about youth access, was about marketing, and was about a lack of self-regulation um, in the premium cigar industry in the cigar industry at large. And that is why we have, you know, we've sent out some releases 
from our board and from Scott Pierce and, and Greg Zimmerman that our team has worked on kind of giving everybody the warning shot that, you know, I, I certainly don't want to stifle anyone's creativity or nor does the association, but there are certain things that we don't really want to put the crosshairs back on to, uh, you know, PCA members. And we have to take some steps of, uh, of self, self-policing uh, to an extent. And a lot of it, you know, when I say self-regulation or self-policing, and I listen to a lot of the shows, I see people freak out and get mad. And, you know, I, I understand the libertarian and I understand that perspective. I, we don't want to say you can't do something. Um, and I think a lot of it is more the common sense approach of, you know, if, uh, you know, you're, you're talking to folks and, and having conversations and you see something egregious pop out, basically saying, hey, you might want to rethink this. And um, the approach that we're taking is through a combination of, of guidance and, 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 and sh- sending out messaging that resembles warnings. But we have guidance that's going to be coming out on trademark and trade dress. We have um, more additional guidance on youth access. And we're also talking about charitable giving. For the longest time, uh, cigar industry would support, you know, charitable activities that reach out. You know, I, I got hit up as a, as a retail, uh, you know, from the retail perspective in Quantico of a high school cheerleading group asking for uh, sponsorship. Well, if they're not 21 years or older, you can't, as a, as a tobacconist, donate to that charity. Or you have the, uh, uh, like the American Cancer Society. For a number of years, there were tobacconists that would provide cigars at, at golf tournaments. Well, the American Cancer Society, they do a lot of good research, but they also have an advocacy arm that's trying to put us all out of business. So, you know, yeah. things like that were highlighting um, the new frontiers were thinking critically. Um, and that's what vision 50 has, has been about. What do the next, you know, five, 10, 50 years look like for the premium cigar industry for far too long? It's been reactionary. And that is something that Scott Pierce and our board's leadership has said, no, you know what? We're, we're going to explore some new avenues. We're going to have conversations with our uh, international co- counterparts. We're going to share information. And we're also going to put the industry um, on notice of things that could be problems in years to come. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we've talked about uh, on past shows, but never been able to dig into it really deeply and I, I've always wanted to learn more about what it really means. So um, you've used the term before um, called a master settlement. And if you could for us, give us sort of the layperson's quick cliff notes uh, explanation of what a master settlement is. Well, I, I think that was used in, in, in uh, uh, actually a different person. I, I didn't use the master settlement term okay. because mass, master settlement really deals with a, a lot of the cigarette companies and the lawsuits there. Okay. Um, with, with our lawsuits, these are um, our latest challenge, um, and it wouldn't involve any, any master settlement. We are suing the FDA for the third time, um, and um, in this case, 
Uh, it is about the challenge of the deeming rule itself, that they did not follow the Administrative Procedures Act um, in, in doing so. So that, that is the, the crux of it, um, that there are damages that the um, cigar industry has to endure because the um, FDA in their promulgation of, of that rule or lack of promulgating a premium cigar rule um, has failed to follow up to their regulatory requirements. And okay. I, you know, I think that as it relates to our earlier conversation about flavors, you know, ultimately there are going to be some challenges in the courts um, regarding flavor, flavor tobacco. Um, so, you know, it's multi-front and, and furthermore, and I think something that gets extremely overlooked in these discussions, Congress does not have, there's no congressional intent for this action of banning flavored cigars. They debated it. There was legislation with it and it didn't pass. So, you know, why is the FDA legislating from uh, a regulatory perspective? And this is where it gets confusing. They are supposed to implement rules that is in line with what Congress has given them the authority to do. Exactly. From my perspective, they are overreaching that congressional authority in this action of the flavored cigars, tobacco products standards. That never happens in government. No, that never happens in government. Can, uh, for the public school people, can you define promulgating? Basically, <laughs> basically just going through and releasing the rule through a process. There are certain requirements and they, they call it the promulgation of the rule where it's actually released. There have been things that have been frozen. You know, there's a lot of things that can happen all along this process. Okay. Um, so when, um, let's say the FDA comes along, like, like what's been happening, you know, lately with, um, with flavors and things like that. When, when things start coming across your desk and the desks of other people in the Premium Cigar Association, what is the process? Help us understand as PCA, for us as PCA members and also for the consumers who watch and listen to this show, help us understand the process of what it looks like when, when the PCA as an organization decides which measures you're going to take. Um, do, does that come to a discussion of the board members and saying, okay, this, we should, you know, we should do this and we should do that. And, and, um, this is what the strategy should look like and things like that. And then does the board vote on, on a final strategy to, before moving forward? There, you know, it, it's a case by case. There's a lot of things that will require, we have an advocacy committee, which I, um, you know, I'm the staff liaison and, and, and oversee the agenda for that. Um, you know, we as hired staff have weekly meetings. We have weekly meetings with our stakeholder partners like CRA, um, which we had earlier today. We're making sure that we're communicating there uh, for and, and I've been doing this for uh, three years with PCA. I was a consultant that worked with IPCPR for a year before that, but I've been lobbying for a decade. And I have, uh, to, to use a, a vernacular term, I have the spidey sense of knowing 
what is going to be a hot button issue that will require uh, board discussion and board vote. So I will raise the, um, you know, the, the threat level, so to speak, for ones that I know that would cause friction or concern. There are things where the industry is divided on, um, and a lot of those things will go through that formal vetting process. Um, you know, we did have a, a, a board vote on uh, the topic of youth access uh, recently. Um, so that was something because there are varying viewpoints. Uh, we keep very, you know, someone on our staff is, is keeping up to date uh, or our board on a lot of the conversations going on um, through the cigar media, through, um, you know, what, what's going on in the industry at large. Um, as it, there are some day-to-day -day issues where we make decisions, um, you know, for instance, uh, something that was a real quick, we had to, we have to respond immediately. We got denied speaking at the leg legislative or uh, listening session on Friday. We are sending the extension request letter tomorrow. Uh, yeah. That was drafted today. So there's a quick turnaround. Uh, but a lot of it, um, we've been doing more member surveys. Uh, once we got the data that 93% of our members carry flavored cigars, we knew that we had to take a, a position. Now we did have internal discussions. Not everyone agreed. We had some, um, you know, we, our government affairs team, and, and I love working for Scott Pierce. He's a, a, a fantastic boss. He really allows our government affairs team to make the government affairs decisions and inform him, keep him up to date on what's going on and we'll ask for permission for certain things, but we're, um, you know, very autonomous, um, from the other parts of the organization, uh, for, for a lot of the things, because, you know, some parts of government affairs are extremely slow and other parts you have to be able to have a rapid response. Um, so, you know, in, in that working through the committees, working with the boards, getting a general understanding, I lay out a clear, you know, it's 30 pages uh, during the beginning of the year um, for our board meeting in February of a strategic plan and document for the year. We do a 10 page update. Uh, we have policy resolutions. And one thing that we're doing unique this year and, and really, um, it came, came across last year, I presented at the TAA, the Tobacconist Association Conference um, in, in the Dominican Republic. They do a very open forum where you present a few comments and then you allow people to chime in. We want feedback. That's why we do the, you know, uh, monthly broadcast PCA live. And a lot of times people are have differing opinions. We get people that call in and say, hey, you're off base. This is wrong. We do take that into consideration. If you're a dues paying member of the association, we have to listen to you. And we have an open phone line for that, whether it's myself, Ryan or Glenn or Patrick Anderson, our, our consultant, we are in a constant feedback loop of surveys, listening to um, you know, what's out there, um, and also offering these new opportunities, such as a public forum. You know, we may have someone that gets up, um, gets up there at the trade show and says, why are you taking this flavor position? Well, I have the evidence, I have the points that, that we've made, that the rationale 
um, that has gone into that, that I will be able and, and freely and willingly will explain. Well, and I really appreciate the fact that the, the PCA is, it, it, at least in my estimation, seems to be more vocal about this particular issue right now. And, and mainly it's, it was, it was drawn out by, uh, the FDA trying to make more moves with their recent, um, talking points, but there, I, I believe there was a sentiment, um, you know, two years ago or so, um, that I won't say everybody, but I, I feel like many people felt that the PCA was, um, willing to discard flavored products as a sacrificial lamb, so to speak, to, to try to maybe, uh, get closer to the exemption that we all, you know, pray for so much. Uh, but, uh, in, in, from what I'm seeing right now, uh, that's, very obviously not the case that the PCA is not the PCA is not willing to sacrifice flavored products for this, for the sake of uh, all the unflavored premium cigars in the market. Yeah. I mean, we, we believe in our definition that's separate, but again, we, we are not going to sit idly as the FDA tries to prohibit a product that's sold by 93% or more of our membership. Our mission statement is to protect the business of specialty tobacco retailing. And that's where our position has derived on this. And, um, you know, I, I, through our team, we have made that recommendation and um, our board of directors um, has supported the initiatives that we have taken. Um, you know, we have a nuanced position. We're not 100% um, you know, aligned with the, the CAA perspective. We're not 100% aligned with the CRA perspective, but we are front and center on this and we're gonna be front, on, front and center on every issue that affects uh, you know, our, the PCA membership. And, and that's one thing that as long as I'm with the association and Scott Pierce is with the association, we are going to be transparent about the actions that we're taking. We are going to provide vehicles for feedback uh, and improvement, uh, whether you agree with us or disagree with us. Uh, but we are going to be very vocal and very active. No one's going to wonder uh, where, where, what is PCA, where does PCA stand on this? That's not something that, um, and, and I think most people would agree. Um, and Aaron Holland has done really good work on the communications front. Um, yeah. if you look across the board, PCA is, um, I, I, I tell our team, I, I would love to be first on everything. I want to be the first association out the gate. And that doesn't just apply to tobacco. When we were talking about the COVID restrictions, I loved it every time we built, beat out the National Restaurants Association or the Chamber of Commerce who have millions of millions of dollars more resources than we do. I'm very competitive in that sense, but I want to be accurate. So a lot of these things where, you know, I, I know there's still some grumbling. Well, you know, wh why did it take PCA three days to do it? Well, if we're a party to a lawsuit, we have to run that by our lawyers. We have to have a calculated response. We yeah. are going to respond to something, but give us the benefit of the doubt to make sure that when we go out on the record, 
we don't say anything that will ad adversely affect our overall position. And we haven't done that uh, to date, which is something that I'm really proud of our, of our, our team. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say for myself and for many others who have been um, directly involved in covering the cigar industry for a number of years is we really deeply appreciate the increase in transparency uh, since um, you know, since Scott came into the position and since you came into the, into the organization, um, I, I have genuinely seen an increase in transparency what, that maybe wasn't necessarily, uh, as, uh, as much prior to you guys coming into, um, into the group. And it's deeply appreciated by us as cigar media, but I know it's also deeply appreciated by retailers and manufacturers alike. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, that's something that, We've been working towards, I know that, you know, with a lot of the stuff, the organization has had some massive changes and changes that have been for the positive. I mean, you know, having manufacturers on the board of directors, getting that perspective on things. I mean, those conversations are um, invaluable and we get a lot of input uh, from that. And, and on our advocacy committee calls, there are times when they're like, why don't you run this by um, you know, these folks and then ensure that we're doing it. And when we're dealing with issues of such great magnitude that affect so many people, we want to make sure that we get it right. And like I said, youth access, I, I, I guarantee you, you know, we've had, I did a blog post with Glenn. We had an initial statement. We're working on some additional actions. Folks didn't agree with that. I mean, there, there were some folks that were opposed to that position but I think they at least understand the rationale. There were also folks that said we didn't go far enough. So, you know, I, I think that um, we, we tried to strike a balance. We're, we're trying to strike a balance. We're trying to um, war game and strategize what the future looks like and how can we responsibly respond to the regulatory and legislative threats um, while preserving the creativity, beauty, and ingenuity of the industry. We want to have a robust marketplace. And, you know, I, I everyone, you know, it, it's almost this reactionary thing. And I, I have the conversations with folks, folks in the international community, and it's kind of like, well, we're just waiting for, for um, what, what's going to happen next. And we don't want to promote tobacco. And it's like, well, I'm going to promote the 30,000 retail jobs, the 3,000 plus businesses that are anchors of their communities, that are um, social, economic, and cultural centers for their cities, towns, and communities, um, I'm not going to be bashful about it. I, I enjoy cigars as a consumer first, and I don't want anyone jeopardizing the um, you know, my right or my ability to con continue to enjoy my passion. Um, yeah. You know, my professor way back in college got me into cigars and politics, and that has shaped my entire life. So I, I am going to fight, you know, tooth and nail to defend this, this industry. Yeah. So for those that are watching with us and listening after the fact, how can they get involved? How can their voice be heard? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think, you know, 
first and foremost, as it relates to the flavor rules, I know that they post, you all posted fightflavorbands.com, submit a comment, get involved there. Um, you know, there are uh, some uh, other additional conversations about getting consumers more involved with PCA, you know, that we are retail organizations, but retailers are the gatekeepers to consumers. Um, you know, we've had activations where, um, you know, we've had QR codes at the point of sale. Um, we've been engaging with consumers through retailers. And I think that there's going to be more of that. Um, we need to, to build an army. And, and at the end of the day, these public health groups, the Lung Association, Cancer Society, Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, there's about 42 or 44 public health groups that are extremely anti-tobacco and they are all engaging consumers. Yeah. Um, you saw CAA recently in, engage with consumers, NATO engage with consumers. I think that there's space for a lot of organizations um, to capture ad additional audiences. We're not cannibalizing or fighting over consumers. We just want to get as many people to vocalize their oppositions, uh, their opposition to some of the draconian actions that are coming out of elected officials and regula regulators alike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that, um, you know, and I've talked about this on the show before, but I had an interaction with one of my um, uh, going in for a physical for my doctor and the nurse, you know, asked if, you know, I smoked and we went through that whole conversation and, you know, tried to give me some and uh, tried to give me some information about quitting smoking. And um, and she was actually writing a paper for her RN on on tobacco. And I asked, you know, in your education, how much of that was about premium cigars? Zero percent. Yeah. So from an education standpoint, we have all of these medical personnel who are being taught that any and all tobacco is evil and wrong and unhealthy. It's all the same. It's all the same. Yeah. Um, when many of them are given grants and research funding opportunities, which definitely sway their opinion on, on that. I mean, and unfortunately, it's, you know, I like compromise. I like negotiating. I, I'm practical. I'm, you know, I don't see red. I don't see blue. I see, you know, people sitting down and enjoying a cigar. Mm -hmm. um, I see people breaking bread, having tough conversations. And I see, you know, cigar lounges. I, you know, I'll talk politics, I'll talk religion, I'll talk about the topics that people say you shouldn't talk about, because you're relaxed, and you're enjoying it, you're in a comfortable atmosphere, and you have a lot of, of good quality conversations there. Uh, but with our opposition, they do not, they will not engage with us at all um, on our issues. We recently had a, a fantastic intern um, from Washington and Lee uh, University for the, the past few months. And he was doing a research project um, on uh, tobacco regulation. And, you know, he was interning for us, uh, not paid, um, just assisting on some research thing. He's had 10 other really high quality internships. And he reached out to one of the public health organizations and they refused to meet with him about his paper. Um, in today's session, there was a crazy 
professor that got on there and, and called us in the tobacco industry um, racketeers. That, we, <laughs> wow. that we, we are known racketeers. And there's actually a, there's a website out there that has a list. And they didn't do it at the federal level, which surprises me. They're probably going to do that in round two. But they went through and they actually listed all state level lobbyists and said that they're known racketeers. And they are going to employers and other people saying, don't do business with them. Um, you know, fire them, get defamation? rid of them. Oh, it's terrible. But How it, is that I mean, not defamation? It, it is it is a blatant attack. Um, you know, I haven't had it. There was a consultant that we worked with in the past that was on this list. And, you know, I, I teach at George Washington University as, a, as an adjunct. I teach the lobbying class there. And um, I know that they're going to come after me at some point because I am, a, you know, a tobacco lobbyist. And they're going to go to GW and say, you know what, you, you got to get rid of, of Josh Aberski because he yeah. represents tobacco interests. Fortunately, in one of the classes, I'm tenured. So uh, hopefully they'll, uh, they'll fight for me. <laughs> so um, before we get into uh, the next seg segments of the show, we obviously want to briefly touch on the fact that the uh, the big industry trade show, the PCA um, exhibition and trade show is I think 25 days away. Is that coming I mean, up? it's like, Ooh. it's, it is coming up fast. So um, uh, if, if you could just give us a, a, a brief overview of some of the cool stuff that we can expect because uh, we're going to be there covering it live for our viewers and listeners. So uh, give us a, a brief overview of what we can expect. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, the uh, you look at the trade show, and obviously, it's the the business to business show. Manufacturers, retailers coming together, but it is a, a family reunion. It is, um, you know, a lot of people socializing. I, I mean, I cannot wait. I know it's going to be a late night, early morning every single day, um, and you know, I think my first trade show, um, I had eighty six cigars. In that, in, in during the show, I'm trying to break that record this year. Yeah, um, but um, you know, I, I I cannot wait for it. There, you know, we took the feedback, and you know, last year was an anomaly. There were a lot of constraints, and you know, like I said, Scott does a, a really good job giving um, government affairs um, the the being autonomous and and kind of allowing us to take that direction. He and Lisa and, and Aaron really deserve a ton of credit along with the board for putting the, the mm -hmm. show together. Um, you know, there's new and improved receptions. Um, you know, the new uh, marquee night pool party. I, I know people were like, we, well, we didn't have enough parties or social atmosphere. That was addressed. Um, there's more uh, cocktail hours. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of new things. The one area that we've contributed to in the government affairs side is is programming, that the trade show is also a convention where there should be some learning and best practices. Um, we have two breakout sessions. We have that policy forum um, that I'll be leading. And then we also have uh, an international segment. One of the cool things, and, and for anyone that knows me, uh, like I said, I'm all 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 about cigars. Um, I went on uh, a vacation, um, I think it was three months ago, to London, personal vacation. 
Um, I had never been to London and um, wanted to go to Churchill's estate, Chartwell, and smoke mm-hmm. cigars. And um, the uh, the Sakakians, um, they own the Davidoff store in London. And I went there and met with the owner. Fantastic. Uh, Eddie and Edward, they took care of me. They, they Ryan actually went uh, with me, my colleague, uh, who's our government affairs manager. And we went to Chartwell. He um, set us up with a cab driver that would allow us to smoke cigars in the cab. So as we're going, I, I mean, I felt like Winston Churchill. We had tea and scones. Uh, but I also tack on, in addition to my cigar adventures like that, uh, that are, are purely social, um, I work with Ricardo from Tour Imports to bring all the ambassadors from Nicaragua, Honduras, and DR to do a policy forum. Um, and we had a session where we kind of, talked about what's going on in the U.S., what's going on in London, what's going on in the EU. And um, that was a a three-hour exchange. We had some great ideas. Ricardo and Reinhardt from uh, Cigar Journal Light Them Up, they are facilitating an international uh, discussion um, and and a way to welcome distributors and uh, folks that are coming from abroad. We had an uptick in, in folks coming internationally to this year's uh, trade show. And we're getting more folks from the Middle East and Asia, other markets that are emerging markets that actually have, to some extent, less regulation in this space than we do yeah. in the United States. So um, that's going to be an interesting session. And these are very conversational. It's not us talking at people. We'll set the stage, but people will be able to give their opinions, come up with ideas. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to those. And then I think we have seven state association meetings, um, yeah. which is important. We're getting organized at the states and, um, you know, Glenn is doing fantastic work there. We have a new state association handbook that we're revealing. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, there will be new at the PAC booth um, this year. People will be able to pick up their new uh PCA stickers that they'll put in their uh, the window saying that we ID over you know 30 years old no tobacco purchases under 21 um, so people will be able to pick up their new stickers that identify themselves as PCA members we'll be giving away those um, and, a, and a few other things very nice did you happen to meet our friend John Strange I did not he was not at, uh, at that one we started out small, I think. Um, so, and uh, I'll do another release here. I, I don't think we've given the dates yet, but November 16th and 17th, we are doing a uh, policy summit in Washington, D.C. The first day is going to be domestic policy, and the second day will be international policy. We did the virtual one last year. We're going in person um and uh bringing everybody together again where we can have those conversations and we will have regulators and elected officials we have a a fairly good rapport with several staff at the fda and i'm hopeful that the new ctp director dr brian king will present or provide remarks at uh at that forum absolutely awesome that's exciting stuff uh, it's going to be a fun trade show. We're excited to so see, excited. Uh, like you said, you used the perfect term. It's a family reunion and we're excited to see everybody and uh, especially excited, you know, that there's, uh, we're going to have uh, 
a nice handful of companies that uh, maybe took a year or two off from uh, exhibiting at the show that are going to be back. So um, it's just an exciting time to be with everybody. And uh, it, it reinvigorates our, um, you know, not, not that we necessarily needed much help with that, but yeah, it does reinvigorate I your, but I love uh, your excitement for the industry. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's great seeing people. I, I mean, I, I was fortunate, you know, this year I, I wanted to go on the road and we did through the pandemic. I didn't want the association and government affairs to slow down at all. We didn't want to lose any momentum. And now in this remote world where, you know, I'm not physically in the U.S. Capitol every day, I can do meetings on the road from an airplane, from an airport, from a hotel room. So as much as I can, I'm, I, I, we'll hit 100 retail stores that we visit this year. We, re, we did 100 last year, but I'm also going to the special events. Uh, Glenn and I were at Big Smoke kind of re-engaging with folks, having conversations. Um, and um, that's something that I think is, is a priority in the, in the future. And, and I'm trying to see how other events are. And we want to be out as PCA supporting other industry partners. I think Cigar Aficionado did an incredible job with uh, Big Smoke. I did uh, Smoke Oklahoma at uh, ZT Cigars. Um, I know that uh, there are a couple other uh, big events. Um, I know that Paul Grow out in uh, Milwaukee does Brew Fest. Um, yeah. That's I think that's my only other uh, major event uh, between now and the end of the year that uh, that I'm planning on going to. And um, you know it's great to engage with people, but again, every, you know there the the vast majority of the industry is there, and even if you're not there, you're glued to your screen figuring out what's going on at PCA. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that, you know, wish, wish that they were, were there. And, um, you know, I, I, I like to focus on, um, you know, the, the, the experience and, um, we, we, we've definitely heard feedback from last year and the board has taken steps to, uh, really, um, uh, improve the overall quality of experience where it's not just a trade show, it's not just the business, but it's the networking, it's the social component, and it's also the education component. Yeah. Well, I agree with what Mitchell said, the great smoke uh, from, from Smoke Inn and the Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest, uh, great events. And I'll also throw in a plug for uh, Cigars and Baseball, which is uh, here in Min Minnesota and um uh, in early, early September, uh, I can get you the info about that event too. It's a fantastic event that, um, yeah. where the yep. proceeds go to uh, charity that puts together baseball facilities for, uh, kids with disabilities and just a fantastic event. Absolutely. I, th I think that, you know, if, uh, so if it's not me or, um, someone from our team would love to, uh, uh attend that we, I want to have, all, you know, Glenn out there as much as possible and my, myself yeah. out there. Um, I was going to go to the great smoke and, and I, uh, that's another event where everyone's talking about it. There are certain yeah. things in the, the cigar industry where you're like scrolling through Facebook and Twitter. Oh, I, what are they releasing? What's, what's going on here? And great smoke was one of them. I went to pro cigar this year and I don't have the stamina of William Cooper to <laughs> go from back to back. 
Nobody so, does. Nobody does. Nobody's you know, got the stamina of William Cooper. That's that's <laughs> why uh, he and I had a blast at Lafleur um, with Carney. Uh, that was yeah. that was an amazing experience. But um, Pro Cigar was another event where just mm-hmm. learning experience and um, you know I, I feel as though that I've condensed um, in my three short three years of time ten years of education by trying to get out there as much as possible. Nice. Awesome. Well, is oh, is it time? Oh, I think it is. It is now time for this week's Numero, Numero de los Muertos. And as always, Numero de los Muertos brought to us by our friends at Smoke In. episode 162 oh sorry thank you justin always reminds me of this and i always forget uh don't forget when you go to smokein.com use the discount code hbtc15 for 15 percent off your order some restrictions apply all right episode 162 numero de los muertos garrett what do you have for us this week it is not niagara falls it's not we'll, we'll throw thank you jason um, not Niagara Falls. The number comes from North America. Roughly 6.8 million people die doing this every year. That is a huge number. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. North America. Mm-hmm. All right. As always, viewers, if you guys have guesses, put them in the comments. Josh and I are going to try to Six break this point. down. Million. Okay. Um, North America every year, six point eight million. Driving is a good guess, and it's not correct. Are vehicles involved? Vehicles are not involved. Um John says, is, is it, it medical? medical? Mm, that's I, I mean, technically, death is medical. I know. That's a hard <laughs> one. That's uh, a hard one to answer. So I'm I'm going to abstain. There's there's really no good yes or no on that one. Uh, falling is not it. Could these be considered workplace accidents? No. Not workplace accidents. Okay. Is it a recreational activity? It is not. Well, for some it might be. Eating saturated fats. No. Is it? Uh, it is not viral. It is not texting. Texting. <laughs> Uh, oh, cigarette smoking. That's a good... Uh, it's not cigarette smoking. Um, uh, this is a tough one. Big When the number's really big or really small, that's mm-hmm. what makes it tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the smaller number is e- easier. I got to pour some more they, scotch to think they, about this. They can be. Uh, it is not choking. Um, it is not, um, it could happen on land or on water, technically. 
Try not to think about that. Playing Wordle. Definitely. <laughs> Yesterday was tough. I got it in two today. Um, are, are firearms involved? Firearms are not involved. It is not a disease. Um, shoot, I'm trying to remember what are some of the usual questions I ask, and I'm drawing a blank. Animals are not involved. No animals, okay. Oh, is it weather-related? That's a really good question, and it is not. Weather is not a factor. Is it? Fighting is not. Nope, not fighting. Um, blunt force trauma? No. Nope. Not eating. All right. I think we need another hint from from Garrett, the great master of all things death. Uh, it is definitely a solo activity. It's a solo activity. I mean, you can do it with other people, I guess. I'll, Some I'll use I use skips. Skip Skip Martin's uh, regular answer. Is it autoerotic asphyxiation? It is not. Uh, it is not uh, abuse or fighting of any kind. It is not consuming anything. It's certainly not that. It's not riding a bike. I did that uh, a couple months ago. Yeah. Bike riding. Um, all right. So a hint uh, would be... Um, not a bad way to go. Is it not motorcycles? Is it in your sleep, Josh? Is that it? It is. Woo! <laughs> yes. In your sleep. Do. 6.8 million people a year. Wow. Yeah. Die in your sleep. I never would have guessed that. That's the way to go, in my opinion. That or sex. <laughs> no, I would want to go in my sleep. I wouldn't want to go in the, in, in the middle of, of yeah. that activity. I'd rather go sleeping any day of the week. Yeah. Wow. 6.8 million people. Yep. Just in North. I wonder what the number is internationally. 68 million. Is it really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Six Yep. Cal. Yep. So it was uh it's basically twelve point five percent um people die in their sleep across the board. North wow. America was a little higher than that. Okay. Um, dude, because we're fat, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. Good one this week. Yeah. That was this week's Numero de los Muertos. All right. So let's jump into the lightning round. And the lightning round brought to us by our friends at J.C. Newman Cigar Company. They are America's oldest family-owned premium cigar maker, creators of the popular Brickhouse, Perla Del Mar, 
Diamond Crown, and The American. J.C. Newman Cigar Company operates out of their 112-year-old El Rolo Cigar Factory in historic Cigar City, Tampa, Florida. For more information on their cigars or their visitor experience, please visit jcnewman.com. All right, so Josh, you've had some of these lightning round questions before, so we're going to we're going to pick through some of the newer ones that I don't think you've had. So, um, let's start out strong. Let's start with the big one. Yeah. No, let's just save that for last. Okay. All right. All right. So Josh, if you were forced to sing, let's say you're at a cigar club one night and they, and it's karaoke night and you're forced to get up and sing a song in front of everybody. What's the number one song you're going to pick? Whew, that's a tough one. Uh, I I can't sing whatsoever, so I would have to I'm do something brother. really r- ridiculous. So I, I would probably start, I would, I would go for like a reggaeton or a rap thing. Yes. Um, song, you know, like a, um, like a Snoop Dogg or, or Dre. Yes. Something like that, because it would just be ridiculous. You know, yeah, Yeah, get, get, get low, get low. Little John, little John. That would be it because no no one would expect it. I can't (laughs) sing. It's going to sound horrible anyway. So I love that. Oh yeah. Warren G. It was a cool. All right. So. Josh, if you could have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life and you can't say money or cigars, but you could have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Unlimited supply, uh, coffee. Easy. Love it. I, I drink, I drink eight cups a day and I don't, I don't, for some reason, like it's not about like caffeine. I, I rotate regular coffee espresso back and forth like i will probably get done with this and have a cup of coffee like i don't stop at a certain point where i can fall right to sleep after i have a cup of coffee so you know to me like cigars and coffee that's my favorite pairing so yeah second favorite answer after luciano's oh i'm sure what was his anybody remember don't i don't remember what luciano's answer was time time oh yeah that was a good answer but coffee is like a close coffee second is very close <laughs> and I'm, I'm the same with you so my my wife cannot have coffee after like 6 p.m but i could have i could have a triple espresso and 10 minutes later go right to sleep and i'm one of those people that i'm and i i realize i'm not bragging i'm just i consider myself very fortunate that when my head hits the pillow I can count backwards from five and be asleep before I get to one. It's, it's true. just, it's, it's annoying. It's, it's just the way I am and traveled I'm, with Matt. I'm grateful years. for it. I'm pissed <laughs> and it makes me angry. I'll be sitting there in bed and he's already. Yeah. Locked. We'll travel together, go to cigar events, you know, and we're in the same hotel room and I hit the bed and I'm out and he's sitting there like, I can't fucking fall asleep. I want to wake him up and shake him. Like, no, you're not ready yet. I'm I'm a nighthawk, so whenever that happens, I will. I just keep talking. Like the R- Ryan and I, uh, we went to uh, Smoke Oklahoma together, and uh, we were sharing a hotel room. 
and I just wouldn't stop talking until like four in the morning. And it's like, you didn't get any sleep. Yeah. And I can be up and, and, and like, we'll be up and really late, you know, some nights, most nights at PCA at the trade show. And then the next morning, um, we're there at 6am with, uh, Zane from blind man's puff and Jack and Hector from Espinosa, uh, smoking cigars and drinking coffee at 6 a.m. Even though we were up until one or two the night before, mm -hmm. just, my my internal clock is for the most part. I mean, I definitely have mornings where I sleep in, but for the most part, whether I like it or not, I'm up at six. So, all right, Josh, the zombies are coming. Okay, <laughs> you have the opportunity to pick three elite members for your team from the cigar industry, who do you pick? Well, definitely Luciano because he ha he's uh, the smart one. He would be the smart oh, yeah. one. Absolutely. I, I think in terms of uh, strategy, I think he would uh, assist with that. Um, I would also take Glenn Loop because I'm pretty sure he has a pretty good arsenal. Uh, That's always so, a good so, pick. Yeah. To, to, to ward off the zombies and then uh rocky patel rocky patel because if we had to battle all night he would be up all night battling yeah. because at the the court case uh the the evenings there we through thro he was there before um and I, I i always say what'd you do this weekend well i i babysat rocky patel at until 3.30 in the morning, uh, shutting down Shelly's. And the funny thing is, like, everyone knows him, and he's, like, you know, the celebrity of Shelly's, and everyone wants to come in and get his picture, but then they're sending over drinks to our table. And I'm with Greg Zimmerman, our president, my, my boss. With the, It was just the three of us, and we had a, a table full of drinks, and I'm like, we're not drinking all this. Like, there's no way. I'm cutting all of us off. We have yeah. to we have to do some work, um, you know, the next day. Yeah. Love it. That's a great team. All right. So let's jump into notable smokables for this week. And as always, notable smokables brought to us by our friends at Ace Prime. Notable cigars, notable passion, notable purpose. So for... Uh, for this week's Notable Smokable, and Josh, you may remember Notable Smokable, we each name a cigar we smoked recently that was notable to us, could be on the market for years, could be brand new. Um, what did you smoke recently that kind of really caught your attention? So I'm going to do another little bit of a reveal here. Woohoo! Uh, because because I, I smoked my last one of the samples uh, that are likely to come out in late August or September, but... Um, Alec Rubin and I are, are, are good friends. Um, Alan has been someone who um, took me under his wing um, when I started. He's been a, a great mentor of mine. Uh, but I also really have gotten uh, to know Alan or Alec and Bradley um, more on a social level. So I was out uh, for the Miami uh, Formula One race and visited their office, which every time I go to Miami or Fort Lauderdale, We'll go there. Um, this time we actually, I don't, I don't think we drank, but we had some, you know, Saturdays where we gone there and, and, um, you know, definitely they, they do not drink, 
um, low proof uh, whiskey. <laughs> yes. So um, definitely, uh, I, I got to experience that. But uh, we put together a four by fifty-two. I wanted to do a small size from Honduras, and much like I, re you know, I got connected with John Adams to do the Dominican cigar. My dream was to have one from the major, the big three cigar producing countries. Obviously, with El Politico, we have Nicaragua with Ace Prime, Pichardo, and Luciano. Uh, with John Adams, we have the Dominican cigar. And with Alec Bradley, I will have the Honduran cigar. Um, and this is, uh, this will be, like I said, uh, August, September. It's a much lighter cigar. Um, and, but the funny thing about this story is, like Alec and I have been talking about this for a couple months now. I'm like, you know, I really want to do a cigar with you. Um, I think it would be cool. My best friend, um, he also really enjoys Alec Bradley cigars. We visited together there. Um, you know, we, we celebrated his 30th birthday, left his wife at uh, a museum for six hours because we were having too many adult beverages at the <laughs> Alec Bradley office. And this is where this kind of came together. So the three of us kind of collaborated, my friends from Chicago and um, I um, were like, I want to do the cigar. I have this idea. Um, I bought a Tommy gun recently, which I, I, you know, do the target shooting and that. So we named the cigar the Chicago typewriter after the Tommy gun. I love and that. And it is old school, like old school Chicago mafia scene. Um, it'll be in five packs and it, it's cool. It, and in it's the background of this car scene um, that says Chicago typewriter. There's an old school movie theater where like, you know, someone would be walking in front of it and they'd get a, a hit would be called out and someone would come with in, in this car with a Tommy gun in the um, um, the advertisement for the movies. It says my name, my best friend, Stefan Gochev and Alec Rubin on it. And we didn't, we, we kind of did this and we didn't tell Alan or Bradley until <laughs> this last time that I was there uh, for the formula one race. And um, when Alan liked the cigar, he's like, damn, this is good. Uh, I was like, oh man, you know, I, I wasn't involved with the blending process other than I'm like, it has to be lighter from Honduras. Alec hit it out of the park and it's neat to see, you know, people that are enthusiasts and you know revered in the industry come together to work with an iconic brand um like luciano and in and, and ace prime and also with alec bradley you know i after this like i don't know what's next where do you go from there <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i yeah. i it's a cool portfolio and, and a neat story with all of them chicago typewriter that's i love it that's so cool very excited to see that uh, so several weeks ago, um, uh, I smoked a cigar and then I got sick for a while. You, yeah. You had a really bad, and there was a cigar that I had that, um, and I'd had it before, but I revisited it and it was just fantastic. Christoph 685 Woodlawn, oh, which gosh, was, I haven't had one of those in forever. 
And yeah. it was sitting in my humidor and I was like, you know what? I, I remember this being a good cigar and I was smoking it and I took a picture. I sent it to Jared and I was like, bro, <laughs> this is touching me in places that I love right now. So um, I, I had meant to make that my next notable, but I was sick. Yeah. Um, so I, a little callback from a few weeks ago, but uh, a worthy cigar. That's very cool. Um, mine was... Uh, from uh our friends at uh postani cigars and you know uh mike and mike from cigar hustler um and um you know the the postania brand i always gravitate towards the broadleaf um but i grabbed a habano and smoked one i smoked a habano postania for the first time in probably a couple of years and i th thought to myself i just cannot sleep on the on the habano blend it's a really nice blend from them and i always like i said gravitate towards the broadleaf but that that habano of theirs is a nice blend it was mm -hmm. that bellicoso size oh yeah and um very nice blend so if you guys see that one out there uh i think you should check it out um so now we have coming attractions uh with a new sponsor a a, a returning sponsor to how about that cigar live uh and that is our friends at A.J. Fernandez, born and raised in Cuba, A.J. Fernandez now produces unparalleled premium cigars in Esteli, Nicaragua. The day-to-day -day operations at Tabacalera A.J. Fernandez are managed under the watchful eye of A.J. himself in order to ensure superior quality. The A.J. Fernandez portfolio of cigars provides a blend, strength, and flavor profile to match the preferences of any premium cigar consumer, whether it's New World, Dias de Gloria, San Latano, Enclave, or Bayas Artes, you are sure to be satisfied with a premium cigar from A.J. Fernandez. Um, and we definitely have some very cool stuff coming up. So next week on the 20th, we have Ricky Rodriguez, and he has a super exciting project. Yep. Uh, he is starting a brand new venture called West Tampa Tobacco Company. Uh, he's a good friend of ours. Uh, we've talked to him before and very excited to have him back on the show. Uh, and then at the end of June, we have a special Tuesday night show. So instead of the 27th, which we would normally have our show on, that's my wedding anniversary. So we're definitely not doing a show that night. Uh, we're going to do a show on the 28th, which is Tuesday night. And we're going to talk to none other than Omar DeFrias from Fratello Cigars. Uh, and then uh, not long after that, we will be at the PCA trade show uh, recording interviews with many of the fantastic people at the show there and learning everything we can about uh, what's going on in the premium cigar world. Uh, so, um, Josh, if you would please give our viewers and listeners a final plug, where's the best place for them uh, as consumers to keep up with everything going on in uh, the world of premium cigars and uh, cigar advocacy? Absolutely. Uh, you know, cigaraction.org is our uh, more consumer-facing quick hit site. Um, the premiumcigars.org, the main website for PCA, um, that it gets a little bit more in depth. Um, we've been doing a lot more notations on some of the complex stuff. We're trying to distill everything down uh, to be as easily understandable and actionable as possible. Um, and, um, you know, I think that right now at the immediate um, time frame, look at fight for flavor bands. Uh, uh, dot com 
and um, you know take action on that. But our, our email and our social media uh, will be updated with uh, some of the new th new things that we're we're doing, um, and there'll be frequent updates, um, especially in in the coming weeks in the lead up to the trade show. And then for for the folks that are um, in the industry, uh, can't wait to see you in Vegas. Um, incredibly excited. Uh, we're going to break the uh, record this year: eighty-seven cigars, um, and uh, hopefully, Garrett, Matt, uh, we get to enjoy one together. Absolutely. Yes, most definitely. We're excited for it. And um, Josh, we can't thank you enough for being on episode 162. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in Vegas. And uh, stick stick with us in the green room after we go off the air, um, just so we can uh, say a proper goodbye. So uh, viewers and listeners, thank you so much for being the best part of How About That Cigar Live. We thank you so much for watching live on Facebook and YouTube and for your comments and questions. We definitely appreciate that. Uh, if you guys have questions for me or Garrett, please email us on the website, howaboutthatcigar.com. Uh, follow us on all social media at HBT Cigar. And of course, as always, burn cigars, not bridges. See you guys. Thanks, Thanks everybody.